0: Down the Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode two fifty one
1: how are you i'm doing i'm well if i'm being honest i'm tired as hell because i'm uh i've got a book coming out in february and i'm running my company so it's like two full-time jobs right now
0: That is Nick Sonnenberg, a man who is very tired, but I wouldn't worry about whether he will pull through because he will, because he is very organized and very obsessed with the idea of saving time, which is why he's the guest in this episode. Nick is an operational efficiency expert, which is a real job in which he, as a professional, helps people, usually businesses and institutions, get things done and Seeing as this is a new year, we all just experienced one of the strangest times in all our lives. As the world opens back up and we're all trying to get back to our routines and our jobs and our responsibilities and our emails, I thought it would be interesting to spend some time with someone who has created a career around figuring out how to better spend our time at work. Are you feeling overworked, underwater? According to some recent research, about 60% of our time at work is spent on what they call work about work, which is a form of running in circles we might call meta work, searching for documents, organizing folders, pinging people three or four times, and then those people pinging other people three or four times, talking about the pings, gossiping about the pings, planning meetings about unnecessary meetings, about planning more meetings, and so on. And though we spend most of our time doing that, we believe we spend about 30% of our time doing that. And the result is we feel like we don't have enough hours in the day. But as Nick says, that feeling is generated by the, quote, thousands of seemingly small inefficiencies at work that add up over time to become major drains On everyone's productivity.
1: Dave gave me this document. Was that in a text, an email, a group chat, in Slack? Was that in an Asana project? What was the name of that project? And it's just the scavenger hunt. Like you spend more time looking for something than it takes sometimes to actually get the work done.
0: Nick is a guest lecturer at Columbia University and the founder and CEO of a company called Leverage, an operational efficiency consultancy where he's been teaching people something he calls CPR the CPR method. It's a method for organizing your life, your business, your creative pursuits, and so on. CPR stands for communication, planning, and resources. He's been doing this forever. He had to develop this to save his company. We'll talk about that. And he wrote a book about it. The book is called Come Up for Air. As someone who is always trying to get things done to improve my output and get better at sending and receiving emails and just planning out creative pursuits and interviews and scheduling things and doing that across several different projects, I thought I'd ask Nick for some advice and share it with you. Uh-oh. I tried Asana. I'm like, that's too much stuff. I tried Notion. I'm like, that's too much stuff. I tried ClickUp. I'm like, that's too much stuff. I'm using Scrivener and Google Docs and all these programs because I kept trying to make one program be everything. And then you have this fantastic framework, which is, no, you need to think in three silos, communication, planning, and resources. And if you know the tool you're using for those things, you pick the tool that, that works with your brain, but make sure you keep it in those silos. You already solved a huge problem in my life. Nick, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. are welcome. Nick, uh, we'll start the podcast with that. And what I'm going to ask you right now is, uh, Nick Sonnenberg, who are you? What do you do? Why did you write this book?
1: I am an entrepreneur. Um, I'm an author now. I have a podcast coming out. I'm a chess player, ex high frequency trader. And I wrote the book ultimately because I am obsessed with saving time and I want to leave an impact on the world where I could be known for saving millions of hours Um, by the time I'm gone. And I I wrote it for myself. I feel like writing a book, it really forces you to refine your own craft and really get clear on things. And so I wrote it for myself to really clarify these ideas. I wrote it for my team. I wrote it for my clients. And I wrote it for the rest of the world to save time because now, especially on the on the end of a pandemic when people are really being forced to work remotely. I mean, these tools and, and my framework works whether you're remote or not remote, but I think now people have been thrown into this new, this new concept of hybrid work, remote work, etc. They've been introduced to these tools in the last few years. No one's ever been taught how to use them. And I, I've seen firsthand the impact that if you just train people on the purpose of these tools and some best practices, it can completely transform your productivity experience. It's not just about time savings, it's culture. Because when people are dropping balls and overwhelmed, and they're underwater, which is why I've called the book Come Up for Air, You know, it impacts culture, it impacts performance. So I, I really think that this is just a big missing piece um, to, to having a high-performing organization and team. I've seen the the impact firsthand that this content has made with how I run my company. And I've seen it Firsthand with clients, and so I wrote the book because I've just seen the impact, and I wanted to get it out there to a broader group and and help a bunch of people.
0: I know so many people who are content creator people. I'm looking forward to the day we have a better term for that, Uh, but right now we still call it content creators. Uh, I know I have friends who are YouTubers, I have friends who are podcasters, authors, people in these worlds, people who have moved into Substack land, and everybody's system is really byzantine and strange and often they're getting stuff done in spite of themselves so we're never it's never stops this this concept of like let's get productive let's stay productive but i keep shifting what i'm doing in a way that i feel like i'm upending whatever progress i made in some way
1: the biggest hurdle people have to get over is the psychological hurdle because to your point people all think that they're productive like there's so many people or we're telling them about how we train in inbox zero which if you just use email properly, you could save hours a week, like three to five hours a week on average, depending on volume. But probably 90% of people we ask, you know, how are you, how do you feel about email? They say, I hate it. I'm drowning in it, but I have a really good system. And that there's like a discrepancy between these two. It's like, well, <laughs> wait, so you have a good system. You've got like a million folders. You think you're using it right, um, but you're missing a lot of stuff and it's wasting a lot of your time. And so there's a psychological hurdle that you have to get over with some people where you have to be like, all right, I need you to have a learner's mindset, you know, back to mindset and just always be thinking that there's a better way and you haven't got it all figured out. And I think that mindset is the most important mindset to have with all this stuff because I'm just always assuming I'm suboptimal. My team is suboptimal. Mm -hmm. And I'm always that allows me to be looking with fresh eyes at things and not just you know, get get complacent and 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 happy that, oh, this is working. This is this is great. So we're always open-minded to better way of doing things. And that's allowed us to unlock new ways of thinking about processes and ultimately get to this framework that you know is the core of my book.
0: I was struck by this part that this is from your book. You write about how Asana did this anatomy of work index this year and found that 58% of employees' time is spent on work about work. And we can get into what that is. Almost 60% of your time is spent doing this thing. But people believe that about 30% of their time is spent on this thing. This, you write, is one of the main underlying causes. why you feel overwhelmed, you don't consider how much time you're actually spending on this minutia. It leads to this thing I really want to talk to you about that, that your system addresses head on, the scavenger hunt that is ruining your work life. Just go. Whatever comes to mind about whatever I just talked about.
1: <laughs> you know, I when I talk to people when I when people ask me, what do you do? And I say, Well, we run a consulting company, we we train we train people in best practices of these tools, and ultimately we remove the scavenger hunt. It's like everyone gets what we're talking about, right? It's a scavenger hunt where it's like, what it what Dave gave me this document. Was that in a text, an email, a group chat and Slack? Was that in an Asana project? What was the name of that project? And it's just the scavenger hunt, like you spend more time looking for something than it takes sometimes to actually get the work done, right? And this is this is when I say I want to save millions of hours across the world. It's this waste. No one likes going on a scavenger hunt. No one likes when your keys are lost and you have to be looking under your couch and in in the nooks and crannies to find your keys like that. You know, it's anxiety ridden. You're not adding value to the world. Like, let's get rid of that. And the way to get rid of that is you align on the purpose of each of the each of those three pillars we talked about CPNR you you align with your team the purpose of each tool and where things should be put and it might in the it might in the moment take you an extra few minutes or not minutes seconds clicks to put things in the right bucket but if you do that and you invest those extra few seconds on the front end it saves you minutes, if not hours on the back end in a month when you have to look for that thing. I'll give you another example. We're doing it in our personal lives. When you do your laundry, you don't just take all your clothes out of the dryer and throw it in one drawer. You separate your socks from your underwear, from your t-shirts. And that's not the quickest way to be done with your laundry. The quickest is you throw it all in one drawer. You separate it because you're willing to invest that extra few seconds But tomorrow, when you have to put an outfit together, it's way faster to do it, right? And it's the same in business. Take an extra few seconds, put it where it belongs, and it's going to make everyone's life easier. You sacrifice a bit of time on the front end, but it saves all of your colleagues and yourself time in the future. And if everyone's adopting that mentality, that's where you get exponential time savings.
0: And now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. and now we return to our program how do you take your personal notes like when you have an idea that pops in your head while you're walking from one room to the other what do you do about your your note taking
1: kind of back to that the the idea of cpr there's a different place to put different types of things so not all notes are created equal right so i might have a note that's a follow-up that I need to do something, a lot of notes are actually action items, right? Remember to go and buy a holiday card for blah, blah, blah today, right? I could be walking and that's a, that's something I want to track because I need to do it. So if it's, if it's something like that, I'll put it in Asana, which is our work management tool. We talk about it in the book, but that's my go-to to organize everything that needs to get done, right? If it's, I need to give someone some quick feedback or an idea, and it might not be actionable. It's just like, "Hey, what do you what do you think of this?" Well, if it's a colleague, I'll put it into Slack, into the appropriate channel or, or direct message, and if it's an idea to an external person, I'll shoot them an email. So there's there's tools fit for purpose, but everything has a strategy, and I think you'll appreciate this. You know, with with you know the psychology background that. Um, that you have, which is David Allen, who wrote getting things done has this great quote, which is your brain is for having ideas, not holding them. And I, and I feel that when you don't have these systems to, un to, to release kind of these things that are floating in your head, it's hard to have creative breakthroughs. If you're walking around stressed, clenching onto that thing, like, I have to remember to go and buy that holiday card. I have to remember to buy that holiday card. It's hard for a creative thought to kind of push through that. So you need to allow for that space to have those bigger, more creative ideas. And so what I have found in my experience, and I've been doing this for a long time, you need to allow people to release that to allow for less stress and creative breakthrough. And so they need to have systems to dump those things Trusted systems, not just any system, but they need to have trusted systems and a trusted strategy so that they can put it somewhere and trust that's not going to get lost and forgotten about. And then they can move on and have freed up headspace to do what they need to do with that freed up headspace.
0: That's good. What about... Book ideas or creative ideas, like since you wrote this whole book, where were you throwing your uh, your notes that popped in your head walking from one to the other about the book?
1: Well, for the book in particular, we had a project in Asana for the book. We had two projects, one for the marketing of the book, which has its own its own standalone project. and then we had one for the actual writing of the book and one section in that project was for ideas. and I would dump ideas in there. There's also I find there's a difference too with my strategy if I'm on the go versus on a computer. So if I'm on my mobile phone, I might do something slightly different versus if I'm by my computer with a a laptop, keyboard, and a cup of coffee, right? But whatever it is, you just have to be aware that there might be a different optimal depending on your context. And as long as you are consistent and you have something that ultimately, as long as you're not walking around with your brain cluttered with these things and things don't get lost and forgotten about and you can click a button and find whatever you're looking for in one or two clicks, then it doesn't matter. Like that's, that's ultimately, that's the outcome we're trying to achieve. And I just lay out kind of a strategy to get there. Uh, one last note
0: taking question. Do you ever use paper notebooks for anything?
1: I, you know, I do like a bit of a journal in the morning to, to physically write. But we, the, the last section of my book for resources is all about documenting knowledge. So, if I have like an a new standard operating uh, procedure uh, um, or a policy or something like that, we'll put it in Coda, which is our knowledge base. But before it gets into there, there's a lot of collaboration, and usually it's 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 a task. So it's usually, hey, what do you think of this idea? Can you give me feedback? So there's an action. There's a verb in there. I want you to do something. I want you to give me feedback on this idea. So then that would be my trigger to put it into, for us, Asana, because we're we're still working it out. Once it's worked out, then we'll store it kind of in our storage, which is Coda, which is where you go to find any, any SOP.
0: I have attempted many times to have a more standard system, but my issue has been each, and I didn't realize this until reading your book. I was thinking there had to be one thing that did everything, Yeah. but it's very freeing to think, Oh no, that's for this. That's for this. And that's
1: like, it's a challenge and it's a common thing. Like what you're bringing up is very, very common. People are looking for that Swiss army knife they want. And that's why email and text like they're, that's the most misused tw- two tools out there. People want the Swiss army knife. They want, to have less tools and just to be able to do everything magically with one. But it's uh, the example I, I use in the book is if you were going to chop down a tree, like, yeah, you could, you could eventually chop it down with a Swiss army knife, but an ax is going to get you there faster. And there's just no avoiding. I found that you need tools built for purpose in those three core buckets, right? Communication, planning, and and the resource bucket. Um, and there's just kind of, you just have to kind of swallow that pill. You don't necessarily, necessarily need to have 10 tools, 20 tools, but there are just a few that are just so critical to -to day-to-day workflow and collaboration and that you don't want to brute force getting one tool to work for everything, but then you're missing specific functionality that's really critical functionality for some of those foundational elements uh, in in the framework.
0: You were underwater when you were writing the book because uh, a bad thing happened to you uh, in October of 2017. What was
1: that bad thing? Wow, I mean, we all have our story, right? So, mine, you know, in October of 2017, um, we're we're still early on in in the company. We were a a freelancer marketplace back then, so in the early days, we were doing we were doing tap. We were always in the in the business of saving time for people. So we were taking work off of people's plate and had a freelancer marketplace, and we would match you up with someone that could get worked on for you. We scaled very quickly. We scaled to 150 people in the first year because of all the automation and kind of backend systems that we had. But with despite all that kind of superficial success, in October of 2017, I'm meeting up at a co-working space with my then business partner and he taps me on the shoulder and doesn't give me tells me he's leaving he doesn't give me 2 weeks 2 days he gives me 2 minutes notice and i'm like literally standing there i go white my palms are sweating and i'm like this is going to be like we could probably go bankrupt here and at that moment yes we had grown really fast and we we you know to the outside world we were this kind of really cool, fast-growing startup, but behind the scenes, what you have to understand is he was the face of the business. No one knew who I was. I was the -the behind-the-scenes guy. So we were growing 20% a month new clients, but we had 15% uh, clients leaving also. So we were net growing at 5%, but it was good marketing masking some foundational fundamental problems in terms of our process and, uh, and the services that we were offering. So when he left, that 20% went to zero. I'm left with 15% of churn each month. So in a in a three-month period, lose 40% of revenue. Over half the team leaves, either go to work with my ex-business partner um, or um, you know, quit. Rumors are go- getting spread that we're going to go bankrupt. Cash out my 401k. My dad took a second mortgage on a house to uh, loan me money for payroll. Bank accounts frozen. I mean, it's like the typical, you know, horror story that you that you hear in these things, right? And people were recommending to go bankrupt. Like we had three quarters of a million dollars of debt. We were losing half a million uh, a year in, in uh, profit. So we had we had some positive things that we were, you know, that definitely there were some positive things, but there were some foundational things that were broken. And so when he left. I really had to take a hard look in the mirror and decide, am I going to figure out how to turn this around or am I also going to jump ship? And um, and ultimately, I, th- I felt an obligation. We owed a lot of service credits to people that had pre-purchased. Um, so I didn't feel it was morally correct to just you know leave them. And I also, I could see a path to turning things around I could see where there were some gross inefficiencies with how we operated. I had a vision for where I wanted the company to go to, and I ultimately decided I'm going to stick this out because I am I'm, I'm confident that I will be able to turn this around. It was way harder than I thought it would be, but it forced me to, it forced me to figure out the CPR framework because when I was, when when you have 150 people on the team with no org chart. And a bunch of stuff broken, you have to think pretty quickly, or you don't have time on your hands. So it forced me to really analyze deeply the biggest broken aspects of the business. And it and it forced me to realize we had broken communication, we were wasting a lot of time with how Slack was rolled out. So we had the right tools, but we weren't even using them in as good of ways as possible. We had a lot of things figured out. I had, I had automated more stuff than you could possibly. Uh, uh, think about and we've always been really strong with process but I really at 150 people and no org chart problems really become obvious so it was obvious that there was a better way to use communication tools I couldn't answer questions as easily as I wanted in terms of I couldn't click a button and know all the my priorities I couldn't click a button and know What's past due, or what the status of things were. So that's the planning part of CPR. I knew that I wanted answers to those things, and it wasn't easy, as easy as I wanted it to be. We were always good on the last part, the resources. Had I not have documented our processes and SOPs, we would have gone bankrupt for sure. So that kind of saved me, and I and I acknowledged, okay, you know, when when that doesn't always have to be a business partner that picks up and leaves with two minutes' notice. It could be. Someone gets COVID and they're out for a month, or you know something else happens, and it's in those times where you really realize how important it is to document what people are doing. You never know what could happen, and it's kind of like buying an insurance policy that you can't go to, you know, farmers or wherever and buy an insurance policy on your CFO to run payroll for you. But if you document, it is like buying uh, an insurance policy. So. Anyway, that's my long-winded way of saying we almost no, that's I
0: we almost this. went
1: bankrupt. It forced me to tighten up these things. Over time, I was able to turn the company around. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to say now we're very profitable, we're way bigger revenue-wise on a much smaller team. And it's because it's it's literally like we're a great case study of how how impactful this stuff can be. But people started reaching out, Dave, and, and started asking, can you do this for us? They started seeing kind of this shift. And so we I started, you know, showing some people. And, and you know, we started off, it could be a million dollar a year vet hospital or a five million dollar a year financial advisor. And then we started bigger people, you know, and the hundreds of millions or billions started reaching out from poop sprays to some of the most famous. Um uh, life coaches um, that you've probably heard of, um, or Fortune 100 companies, and everyone has the <laughs> poop same
0: sprays. Poop, poopery. Everyone poopery is the name of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. If you didn't but know, it's the poop spray yeah. it's poopery. It
1: <laughs> Actually, it's rebranded now. It's Corey. <laughs> they've they've uh, expanded oh, their suite. Oh, okay, but it doesn't matter if you're a poop spray or you're a Fortune 100 company. Just like how it it, it helped me, every company, no matter industry or size, you need to communicate with people. You have clients, partners. You have internal people, so you. Everyone has to communicate. Everyone has to has to plan. Like everyone's got work to do. Whether you're a lemonade company or you're a poop spray, you've got projects and tasks and work, and people need to do that work. And then again, you could be a massive tech company, or we've also worked with some of the largest condom, uh, uh brands in the world. It, and again, it doesn't. That's why
0: I'm asking you to tell the story because you did this, you did this. And then other people are like, Hey, could you help me do this in my place? And you're like, damn, I should just write a book about this. And that's what, that's why I like it. Yeah.
1: And look, I, even though I am an author and I have, I have this book that that I don't identify first as an author. I'm an entrepreneur first, right? I went out, we figured this out. We have a consulting business that's successful and making a big impact. And it's from empirical evidence and firsthand case studies and an observance that that, drove the content for the consulting and then ultimately we put it within a book.
0: Let's talk about what it is here. Okay. CPR, the uh, communication, you know, emails and stuff, planning, meeting, delegation, which is the thing that I have the biggest problem with and resources. And how how, you, how do you digitize and document your entire company's stuff, what you know and what you do. Yeah, I mean, I used to work for, an, I worked for a newspaper and I've worked for a, a, a television company in the trenches part of it, like the news or, or operations. And I could Oh man, I would just wish they had this system. It was, that system was just that guy's pile of shit, this guy's pile of shit, everybody's pile of shit into a meta pile of shit. Yep. And then the news director who walks in and goes, what are we doing today? And we're like, I don't know. And then like the the head of the whole place who comes and goes, what are y'all doing compared to everybody else? We would have department head meetings, but it was mainly everybody saying, here's what our pile of shit's doing this week. And then they, they go, that sounds good. Well, corporate is hoping we do this in this quarter. And then they leave. And it was just chaos, just a chaos, a river of multiple chaos flows in every direction, and how it was bonkers to me.
1: And and also, it's not just it's not just that you guys were wasting a lot of time that was time that could have been spent adding more of a bottom line value to the business. But I could guarantee that culture was being impacted too, and balls get dropped, and then trust deteriorates because you don't trust that this colleague is actually going to deliver to you on time whatever it is that they're supposed to deliver so then you start having to do multiple follow-ups to them hey uh hey uh dave are you are you sure uh, just friendly reminder are you gonna get this done by friday and it's like a text and email and like you're now you're stressed and you're like hitting them in three different places because you know that you can't trust that they're actually gonna get it to you so then you have to panic and stress and it's just this like It's just never ending cycle. Cause yeah, every
0: person is do is getting that from every other person. Like every person is pinging every other person four times. So each person's (laughs) receiving 200 pings going, Oh, I'll never get this done. And,
1: and, and and honestly, it's just as simple as aligning them. These are the tools we use. This is how and when to use them. And then you spend a little bit of time training them and having them put things where it belongs but then you save these triple dings that everyone now has to have that no one likes as a byproduct of just not having this framework in place.
0: Let's start with the first bucket communication. You mentioned like if you're gonna go on a uh, a camping trip in the forest, you need need at least two things, a walkie talkie to communicate and a map to navigate. And then you say, I would also add a guidebook, things you need to do in certain situations uh, and maybe your experiences in the past. What do you mean by communication? Because you have several tools in here and, and a subdivision into internal, external.
1: Communication to me is you're, you're giving an, an update, like, hey, welcome Dave to the team. There's no action. I don't need to hold anyone accountable for that, right? I'm not going to be checking, did you get something done? It's really just information. So, or, hey, do you think that this is a good idea? You know, those, those are communications. Right, I'm going to be out this Friday, an announcement. Those are communications. Those should go in a communication tool, right? We recommend text for personal, Slack or Microsoft Teams for internal, and email for external. Now, that's very simple. And like that's kind of step one. Then the next step is whichever tool you use, you have to use it right. So email, we teach inbox zero. Slack and Teams, you should have uh, knowledge of what when to use a channel versus a direct message. Naming conventions, private versus public. Third-party integrations, like that's the next step. But even just as simple as personal, internal, external, and even before that, what is communication versus something that's task and project related, right? So that's your walkie-talkie. Hey, welcome Nick to the team. Hey, I'm out this Friday. That's you're communicating now. Hey, Dave, um, can you edit this podcast by Friday? that isn't communication anymore. Now you're now I'm giving you work that needs to get tracked. It's assigned to a person with a due date. There's accountability there. I don't want it to just slip through the the cracks. Now we might communicate on that task and any of these tools that I mentioned in the book like Asana or we talked about ClickUp and Monday, all of them have the ability to comment and collaborate on that task, but that is something that doesn't belong in text, email, or Slack. You don't want that to slip through the cracks. You want to capture that in a work management tool. So that's the, the map, right? And then um, the the guidebook that you're referring to in that example is knowledge. So I we might make a decision that the last week of the year, we closed the office, right? So we want to log that. So, anyone can see it. We might want to have a policy. we want might want to document our core values, right? So we have some core values. We want people to easily access those core values. So those that's all in our knowledge base
0: in these buckets. you've got internal external in the communication. in planning, you've got your work management tools. But also, there's another subdivision here in in resources, which is just knowledge base process management. Uh, I'm not familiar with process management stuff. Could you educate me on what this even is?
1: So yeah, within resources, that's all about documenting knowledge. And we split that up. Just like communication, there's a separation between internal, external, personal. On knowledge, we separate it between static and dynamic. Static knowledge answers the question, who, what, when, where, why? Who's the CEO? What are the core values? Where's the office? That goes into a company wiki, like a coda um, or notion or confluence. But then there's another type of knowledge that answers the question, how? How do you onboard a new team member? How do you do payroll? And so that's a sequence of steps that have to be done in some conditional order. And that's what I would call a process. And there's a nuance, but there is a distinct difference between project management and process management. So anything that's predictable, you've invested resources in developing the best way to you know, do a podcast episode, right? We have to book a call, you have to record this, you've got to do someone has to do the editing, the show notes. There's all these steps that need to be done for this podcast to get out. That's a process. It's repeatable. If you want to make a change, most likely you want to make a change for any podcast going forward. So you want that to be documented as part of your intellectual property and there's tools for you to capture that. So if it's repeatable and predictable, that's process management. A project would be like my book book launch campaign, right? It's not a process. It's like a one-time thing. My book comes out February 7th. Up to that date, there's all these things that have to happen. And so that's in a different tool because it's not a process. It's a project. And lastly, a sign of maturity of a company is shifting the major a percentage of work from non-repeatable to repeatable. So as a company matures, one, one good objective that you should be having is shifting things from ad hoc. Ad hoc means like you're Columbus discovering America for the first time. You're not sure how it's going to work. You're you're out there figuring out how to get there. But after you've done a trek or two, you know exactly what route to take. You want to document that and have everyone take the same route so you don't have to figure it out from scratch. So projects and ad hoc work is from scratch. Like I'm figuring out this book launch right now. There's a bunch of stuff that we're thrown against the wall, seeing what, seeing what sticks, right? If I did ten book launches and I had a process that was hitting New York Times every single time, I would be running a process that we've developed to just go through to hit New. You know, this is our New York Times bestseller list process. Just do all these steps; we know it's going to work.
0: What comes to mind here is the post-apocalyptic zombie survival things, where you're like, we got to reboot everything and you, we got to start from scratch. Uh, And or you know, Library of Alexandria type events that burn down your thing. I'm I'm realizing now talking to you how many companies I've worked with that are just always in that state already. (laughs) Like, they are, it's like you're everybody who
1: joins the company is starting from scratch. Well, figure it out. And people get hired at companies, they get an employee manual of like vacation days and, and health insurance, but then they're just thrown into the deep end and like, go and figure this out, go and work with these colleagues. And it's like a language. Like imagine getting hired and you speak French and like your one colleague speaks Chinese, one speaks German, German, and you guys got to go and launch this big initiative together. It's going to be hard to collaborate, right? And it's the same thing. Like if people aren't aligned on the core collaboration tools that are on the market that are used at that company to, to work together, you're going to be only getting a fraction of the productivity out of everyone and it's going to affect performance, culture, everything. Um and like I said before, on average, we've seen at 5 to 10 hours a week back. So like basically a full business day back per employee very quickly by just aligning them on the CPR framework. And you you'd mentioned before the Asana um Anatomy of Work survey. You know, 60% I think they said of of time spent is work on work, which is like email calendaring, you know, scavenger hunting, all that stuff. So another way to look at the benefit of this stuff is say you work, um, say you work, let's see, what's a good math example here? Well, let's say you work a 50 hour a week, right? And say 45 hours is work-on-work work stuff, like crap, like email meetings, calendaring, right? And only five hours is um, for high-level type of stuff, like you sitting down and thinking about a new strategy for your podcast, right? So if, if I save you five hours a week, either by teaching you how to get to inbox zero and in email, teaching you asynchronous communication tricks, rolling out Asana, whatever it is, right? There's a million ways to save time, right? So even if we get you half a day back, five hours, you've doubled the amount of time you have for that high-level work, right? Because out of 50 hours, a lot of people only have 5 hours of time for high-level work. So if you give back 5 hours, you're doubling that 5 to 10. And so in some sense, you're doubling their productivity for time that they can spend on high-level work. Because when you break it down, it's really actually only a fraction of your week you have to spend on that stuff that really drives your business forward. And it doesn't matter if you're a solopreneur, if you just work by yourself, you have a team of two, you could have a team of 200. Time is time. And there's concepts that are just as applicable if you're if you're one or if you're 100. It's just that complexity scales exponentially with team size. So the longer you wait, the bigger you are, the harder it is to make any change in a company. And the more coordination, the more training. So the smaller you are, the easier it is to make any change. And at the end of the day, like even if you just, if you're a solopreneur and you just learn how to use email properly and roll out a tool like Asana or ClickUp or any of these, you're still going to save that five to 10 hours a week for yourself. I promise.
0: There's one thing I want to ask you before we run out of time, which is this neat quote at first you thought a business can only grow as fast as knowledge can be transferred, but you discovered that a business can it's the truth of it is actually that a business can grow only as fast as knowledge can be retrieved. What does that mean?
1: You know, when people are overwhelmed, you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and you're out of bandwidth. There's two things that people do to get bandwidth. They try to hire more people but then you fall into the trap that I just described, which is complexity scales at exponentially. So adding more people to an inefficient system makes the overall system less efficient. And not only... It's the most expensive way to try to solve the problem of bandwidth. You're having to invest in recruiting, hiring, training, payroll of this person, it's X months till they deliver value. And then if they're not on board with how you guys all collaborate, the scavenger hunt could even just most likely get worse. The second thing that people do to get more bandwidth is they just try to get shit off their plate as fast as possible, right? It's like, I'm in my text message, I'll text Dave. I'm in my email, I'll email Dave. There's no strategy, it's whatever's in the moment. And so locally, my background's in math, so I sometimes use math concepts. So in math, you have the, the concept of local and global optimizations. So it might be a local optimization, meaning... Yes, you just got it. Congratulations. You just got that off your plate. Good job. But globally, it's not optimized because you just put it in the complete wrong place for your colleague. They're going to go and have to waste time in a month if you have to go and track what happened with that thing. You're going to waste, you know, 10, 100, maybe you'll never even find it, which happens more often than not. So, in the moment, yes, you tick the box, but You've just made work much harder for everyone long term. And if your colleagues have the same mindset, right now, when they want to get stuff off their plate, they're doing the same thing to you. And so, if everyone just makes an agreement, we're going to optimize for retrieval. We're all going to take pause, no matter how busy we are. And we're going to do the extra two seconds to put it in that right bucket. We're going to put the socks in the sock drawer, the underwear in the underwear drawer. And we're all going to make this commitment. Because we know as a team that if we all do this, it's going to circle back and it's going to make my life much easier. And it's going to make the company better, the culture better, the performance of the team better. And so that was the big shift, seeing that people are doing things in a way that's selfish and optimizing for themselves to get stuff off their plate. But rather, people should be thinking, what's best for the team? What's best for the organization? And when you shift the mindset to be thinking, more holistically for the group, that's where the shift happens from optimizing for transfer versus optimizing for retrieval.
0: That is it for this episode of the You're Not So Smart podcast. Nick Sonnenberg. You can find him on Twitter, as long as that's still a thing, and a thing you'd like to go to, at Nick underscore S-O-N-N-E-N-B-E-R-G. His website for this book is comeupforair.com with all sorts of extras and materials there you can play around with. And the book is Come Up For Air. For links to everything that we talked about, it's in your show notes and at youarenotsosmart.com. You'll also find a link to the homepage for How Minds Change in your show notes with all the podcasts and other places I've been appearing and giving interviews. Just scroll to the bottom of that page to listen to those and look at that stuff. Also, I started a newsletter. It's called Disambiguation. You can find links to that in your show notes and over at smart.com. For all the past episodes, go to Stitcher and SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Audible and Smart.com. You can follow me on Twitter at David McCraney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. We're also on Facebook slash you are not so smart. And if you'd like to support this operation, help make it better, help pay for transcription and other services and features and things, go to patreon.com slash you are not so smart. Pitching in at any amount will get you the show ad-free. But the higher amounts will get you signed books and posters and t-shirts and other things. Doping music that is Clash by Caravan Palace. The best way to support the show is just tell everybody you know about it. If any episode really, really resonated with you, share that somewhere and check back in in about two weeks for a fresh new episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.